Hi guys, I'm Giuseppe Santamaria, the photographer behind Men in This Town and editor of Mitt Magazine. I want to welcome you to a new episode of Portrait Session, in partnership with Armani Exchange Connected. This podcast takes a closer look at who the men on the street are by bringing them into the studio for a portrait and having a chat about their particular approach to the many facets of life. This week, I connected with Timothy Nichol Ford, the fashion program manager at the Sherman Center for Culture and Ideas in Sydney, and one half of Demi Couture ethical fashion label Nickel and Ford. It was only a few months ago when a friend of mine shared Timothy's Instagram profile with me, insisting I get in touch with him to feature on the blog. His love for vintage fashion was wonderfully unusual for a man living in Sydney, like a walking museum at times, full of knowledge behind every piece he wears. We could have chatted for hours more, but we restrained ourselves, focusing on the future of fashion, authenticity, and finding your creative family. Head over to meninthistown.com to view selects from our portrait session. And in the meantime, I hope you enjoy the conversation that took place. Timothy Nicolfort. I always say um before I say it. <laughs> Trust me, I have my moments of uh, like, like, like. <laughs> my name is Timothy Nicolfort and I am 26 years old. I'm a baby. I'm very you young. You are a baby. Yeah. You are. And I work for a cultural institution called the Sherman Center for Culture and Ideas as my day job. And then my wife and I also make clothing. Amazing. Mm-hmm. And let's start off with what are you wearing today? Uh, I mean, it's... Your style is something that kind of caught my eye right away, especially in Sydney. It's something that's like, you could probably blend in somewhere else in the world, but in Sydney you stand out <laughs> in the best way possible. Blending in is not my strength, I there have to go. say. No, and yeah. that's great. It's so, Sydney siders are so, or Australians are just so kind of, it's a relaxed city and country. I yeah. Think. And they don't put too much thought. I mean, it's changing and kind of into people's yeah, style. Yeah, no, absolutely. But it's kind of a rare thing to kind of see someone like you, I think. Hmm. What is, where does your style inspiration come from? And what are you wearing today? Um, I'm wearing trousers that my wife made for me. The cute little paint and pump businesses down the bottom. Love those. That are yeah. from the 70s. I really like white socks and dark shoes at the moment, which is a bit of like a cardinal sin in the fashion world. But, but it looks right. If it's and purposeful. And even length looks good as well, the sock. It's quite nice. Yeah, if it's purposeful. Yeah. Um, and then just like a thrifted shirt, a nice thrifted shirt. And this is a... Well, I'm going to get changed for the photo that people will see with the podcast, but I'm currently wearing just like a like a 50s kind of Western crop jacket. Mm. So where I basically mix like things that I make myself with vintage pieces and the occasional new thing, but yeah. not very often. I what? haven't bought new clothing in six years. Really? Yeah. God. So it is just a collection of... I buy underwear. Don't worry. <laughs> so it's Vintage underwear? First thing, first thing people ask me, they're like, but where do you get your socks from? I'm like, mate, why is that the first thing you think of? Where are the socks from? <laughs> These are from Uniqlo. They are there new. Yeah. <laughs> you know what, though? They look like they're... Like a vintage kind of old pair of socks. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Made, I mean, even know? when I have to buy new things, I'm very careful about what I buy. <laughs> That's 
That's yeah. smart. That's smart. Yeah. And then what kind of accessories do you have on there? Um, I'm wearing two. I'm wearing well the beautiful Armani Exchange watch, which I went with a leather band because I always prefer natural materials, okay. even in secondhand clothing that I buy things that decompose in the ground one day opposed to sit there That's for smart. years and years. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it always feels nicer. It kind of breathes with your skin. Yeah. And it's actually a navy tone I'm now noticing, which is really beautiful yeah. as well. Yeah. But, and then I'm wearing, I, I have a new obsession with rings. We recently watched, my wife and I recently watched a film called Orlando, which was made, I think it was released in 88 or 89. And it's one of Tilda Swinton's earliest films. And it's an adaptation oh, okay of a Virginia Woolf novel. Right. And it's just so beautiful. And Quentin Crisp, who's one of my style icons, actually plays Queen Victoria, Queen Elizabeth I, in drag in the 16th century. And he How's wears... How's the movie was made from? What decade? Um, so it was made in the late 80s. Late but 80s. basically the story is that it's really progressive because, of course, Virginia Woolf wrote this a long time ago. Mm. Um, but it's basically about... A woman slash man. It's like the first narrative about a hermaphrodite, basically. Yeah. But basically, they keep, keep on becoming reincarnated as either men or women and explores the challenges for men and women in each age. Yeah, right, okay. So it spans yeah. from the kind of 16th century to the early 20th century. It's such an interesting... So it goes through like the Elizabethan period all the way to the Second World War. Oh, and it looks right. at how gender roles perform. and. Yeah, I mean, definitely ahead of its time. Very far Come ahead on. of its time. I mean, especially as the novel, but even as the film in the yeah, 80s. Yeah. And bizarrely, um, my wife and I did a shoot with a hairdresser last night. That's why my hair looks very fancy. That today. looked amazing. Yeah. That, wow. Like the, the tin, what is it, tin press or? Uh, tin type photography. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah, he's amazing. But I'm, a, I'm not a very patient person, happy to admit it. <laughs> and he was like, take a shot, just take a seat for 25 minutes. Like you're so used to. Being involved in any of these processes, I'm not usually in front of the camera, usually behind the scene, but like running around, grabbing things, changing yeah. things. And um, he was like, yeah, just have a snack. <laughs> we were there for five hours and we took right. six plates. You're kidding. Wow. Mm. And then they got developed like right, like how long does that take the development time? Oh, that's like part of it. He was it developing them because the, like everything is timed. He had all of these alarms going off. It was a really strange experience. Um, but it's a really beautiful thing because they it, it's all solutions and chemicals and I don't know the finer details, but the image just appears before your eyes in a it's bath. Magical. And he invited us in to watch it. And it's yeah. the depth and detail caught in that process is really quite special. I yeah. I just love that. And it's just even just with film photography, I I was trained, I kind of taught myself through digital photography. Right. And I only now just kind of have this fascination with the whole film and kind of print process cool. that I want to go back to. And it's like... I don't know. It's you don't have a lot of room in here for a dark no, room. <laughs> no, I need to get a bigger studio. But yeah. it's that the that old process, the romance of it, I guess, um, yeah. that kind of gets to me. And I guess it gets to you as well with when it comes to fashion. I was a little bit more. I have to say, I was a bit impatient. But certainly, Adrian, the photographer who was doing it, he was just. I think because he shot digital for such a long time, he's now spent six years teaching himself this process, and he loves it. He just has his music on and he grooves around and. It's also like, it's really expensive process. Oh, like there's all the yeah. chemicals, all the solutions, you've mm. got the plates, the whole setup that he'd done as well. Like everything was light sealed and insulated and red lit and it was such a process. Oh, and um, and he wanted to do this project for us, which was really exciting. So it it's was really great. Good. Is yeah. that like, what's the project for? Can you reveal just it? himself just and for us. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Like, he just wanted, I suppose we have quite a, quite a specific aesthetic. So yeah. Um, yeah, it was interesting. It was cool, good fun. Yeah. So where does your 
your interest in fashion come from? Where where is like as a child were your parents, people in your family? I have to say this without being coy, right? Yeah. So basically, I do put a little bit of it towards the existence of your Tumblr. Yeah, no so way. I started reading your Tumblr in the early days yeah, and I was no a way. suburbs kid. My parents love them dearly. They will not listen to this podcast. I'm literally the least stylish people I've ever met in my life. My parents as well. Yeah, I, I, like I love them. But my mum, to this day, she just, it's all about practicality. Like we were, I was never brought up. I think this is why I'm so attracted to the prism of glamour. Right. And construction because it was never even considered for my parents and it wasn't part of my childhood. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Quinella. So near the beach for Yeah, sorry, in the Sutherland Shire, which is <laughs> if you live in Sydney, Quinella is like a condemned it's like <laughs> it's not it's not the most socially progressive place. It's very white, it's very conservative. And it was very safe for me as a child. I think that's why my parents were really attracted to right. just like a safe community suburb. Um, but yeah, so then Basically, as a teenager, I went to a school in the city, so I was kind of like I had perspective outside of quite a small community, right, okay, which was yeah, quite good. Yeah. Um, and then, well, yeah, when I was a teenager, I just kind of started becoming interested in it as I kind of explored myself and my identity and my sexuality and all those things, all those questions you ask. Mm. Um, and I think I, I just wanted to develop my own individuality. I was just really attracted to being my own person. And how did you express it when you were young like that? Did you wear uniforms at school? Like, was that... Yeah, yeah, uniforms all the way. So when did you get that chance to... I have... It's like... If you have to tell this story without lacing it with darkness. Like, as a child, I did heaps of music. Darkness is fine. Darkness, darkness is fine. We're, here, we're here for the darkness. Everyone's tuning in for the darkness. <laughs> um, yeah, no, so as a kid, I did, like, a lot of music. And I was involved at, like, a young, semi-professional age in classical music for years and years. Yeah. Um, so I principally played violin. I was a singer and did a lot of other music as well. I was the human orchestra kid in every school. There's always one, right? <laughs> Who plays like 10 instruments. That was me. I admire that. I, a musician is just something I wish I could have. Really? Seen. Yeah. I, I, I was, my parents put me into piano classes when right. I was young and loved it, but I don't know why I didn't stick with it. It was just mm. something that kind of, and I went into you drama. Pick it back up. Oh, I, and I kind of have. For, oh, I went to go watch, um, a couple of years ago, La La Land came out. Oh yeah. And, like, I absolutely adore that movie. People either love it or hate it. I Didn't do it for me. Oh but I can God. see why some people love yeah, it. Like, I don't know why. It's just so much jazz hands for me. Oh, I love jazz hands. <laughs> <laughs> I love jazz. But it was, like, I, li- I went, it was, Josh and I were uh, in LA for holidays. Mm. And we went to go see it. Um, at While you were here in LA. Okay, LA. right. That's a bit special. Surrounded by all these wannabe actors, I'm sure, that right. got the movie and got those jokes and I have never cried so much at the end of a movie really like I, I couldn't explain it it just came out of me that last sequence where they do um, it's like just the the wrap up basically of how they felt in love or the summary I guess yeah yeah it was just done in this old Hollywood style that mm. could have been looked at as two different ways I'm sure Oh, no, it's clever. Very clever. Like, the, you could uh, tell they'd done their research and they knew absolutely. exactly what they, they were pitching to. They knew what they were doing yeah. with it. And I don't know. It's just and everyone else in the audience was just feeling the same way. So That's it was this special. collective energy that mm. was like, and just sobbing. I can't explain it. Really? Sobbing to the end of this movie. And like, loved it. And then watched it again 
couple weeks afterwards when I think we were back in Sydney mm. again and like, I don't know what it is but anyways long story short um, my um, yeah I was obsessed with the music in, in it and Josh ended up buying me a little piano for my birthday oh that's so nice which was amazing and so I was playing it but then we ended up moving and now our current apartment doesn't have the space for the piano so it's just put up in a closet and I need somewhere to kind of put it and actually play again because I was like learning kind of all the songs from the movie and stuff like oh, that oh that's so I sweet loved it so I need to get back onto it mm-hmm. it's just that, like it's I don't know jazz for me is just my form of music mm-hmm. that I absolutely adore and you could, I could feel it like I love it's in my bones somehow I feel wow, like that's amazing that you can identify that yeah I don't, I don't know what it is I've never necessarily played it but it's just it, it hits me you know so mm-hmm. anyways <laughs> well, I suppose like that's the reason why I stopped playing music. I realized yeah. that I wasn't really feeling it. Right. Okay. Yeah. And that was like as I got to like doing like my final kind of senior grades and um, especially with violin and stuff. Like the feedback I was getting from people at the conservatorium and stuff was mm. that I was technically ticking all the boxes, but I wasn't feeling the music. Right. Sure. Yeah, yeah. You could be good at something, but not right. Sure Probably has that. a lot to do with like being pushed into doing two hours <laughs> of music practice a day for many years and like you kind of fall out a lot with it so I, I mean I kind of like hit 15 and realized that I was not going to become a professional musician was like fuck who the fuck am I, I like, like my earliest life crisis mm. many more to come I'm <laughs> so ready they're there <laughs> but um I suppose at that moment I had a real opportunity to start reassessing who I was and how I wanted to kind of represent myself in right. the world and right. I think maybe that correlates with um yeah, and I like my um, my family had a pretty uh, narrow like pop culture understanding. Like we weren't allowed to watch American TV. Like I never no, saw The right? Simpsons watching up, uh, growing up and stuff. Never watched The Simpsons. So it was kind of like as I hit an age where I could start like you know accessing things for myself or watching mm. films by myself, and it was like a whole new kind of cultural education. Yeah, yeah. Not that I didn't have cultural education because like I. In, so, in some respects, like I used to go to like classical music concerts and opera as a kid and all these amazing opportunities that so many people don't have. But I think in terms of like <laughs> being able to talk to friends at school about things that were happening in the world, like I literally... It's like pop culture stuff yeah, more, so... Yeah, yeah right. and like world news and yeah, like yeah. it just wasn't really on my spectrum. Right. But so then I was able to access it and it just kind of like hit me like a wall and it was like, oh, there's so much fun stuff to play with and I think that's when I just really started playing yeah 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 and what kind of was maybe your earliest memory of kind of a style that kind of you resonated with i got really excited about um just like vintage culture in general okay right. i think it's really you know uh in aesthetic cultures like people who wear vintage can cop a really bad rap and often for really good reason mm. like you're kind of you're um evoking a time that was not as privileged as we have now. Right. Had a lot of social problems, a lot of racial problems. Mm. And, you know, there is really something about seeing, I mean, I have bleached hair, like a white guy with bleached hair walking around in a 30 suit. It's not always the best evocation of a time and place. Um, Why do you think that? Well, I think, I, I remember, God, I was somewhere in public and someone screamed Nazi at me once because I was yeah, like yeah. Aryan, blonde, blue eyes. Um, and I was wearing like a really constricted beautiful 30s tailored suit and I think you need to just be respectful that things mean different they evoke different things for different people so just because you're feeling it somebody else might 
my, my boss is, um, comes from a kind of Holocaust, Holocaust survivor family. And it was really interesting. She was just telling me, this is such an anecdote, but she was telling me the other day when she went to Vienna for only one time, she just, because her family was Viennese and mm. um, persecuted um, by the Nazis, yeah. um, she just found that even though she knew it, it had been, you know, 70, 60, 70 years since um, her family had had to leave. And she wasn't even born there. Mm. She was born in South Africa. Right. But she had all of that kind of charged cultural memory that came through her parents. She said that she was in Vienna and she found that she was like casting, like questioning looks and shifting glances at people because she just didn't feel safe or trusted in that space. Wow. And I think that's really powerful. Um, in terms of like the way we represent ourselves as well. How yeah. do you feel like you balance that then? Um, I think over time, you know, I've been wearing, I like developing my own style and wearing different clothing for, ooh, I suppose like pretty much 10 years now. Mm. Um, and like I've just moved across different spectrums between um, like very traditional dress, really casual dress. Like I went through a real 50s teddy boy stage for a while where I was wearing like starchy jackets and open collar shirts and big hair. And <laughs> you know, it's, but it's fun to play with it because yeah, yeah. you've got, you know, you've got examples to work off. You can, you can remix it in your own way, which yeah. I think is really fun. Um, and you're educating yourself in the process, aren't exactly. you? Exactly. I mean, that's, I think, a difference rather than just wearing vintage clothing, but then actually knowing what you're actually wearing. You and know? this is why, um, this is to get a little political, like we've just had in Sydney, for, for those listening in, we've just had like some kind of upsetting press in the news about one of our cultural institutions here. Uh, a director has unfortunately stepped down um, and she put a really strong focus on the Centre for Fashion, which was developed a few years ago and has been building really beautifully and for people like Giuseppe and myself it's like you can use fashion isn't just clothing obviously you use it as a prism to be able to look at social history political history um, alternative history subcultural history queer history there's all of these important facets through which clothing is just simply a way to view that world and it's right. often a really useful way because it's tangible people wear clothing they can relate to it and it's what's so good about the um, Raining Men exhibition yeah, because absolutely. men who have no interest in fashion, they wear clothing. Like, mm -hmm. no one walks around naked these days. And so to <laughs> go... I know, come on. <laughs> so to go in there and be able to put yourself relative to a time and place and understand what that means is really powerful. Yeah. And I'm sad to say I don't know if I think that movement within Sydney is going to last now that we've lost Dollar in that position which is uh, such a shame do you think it's Sydney specific or Australia I mean it's it's something that she was really she, and the institution and the right. curators there it's an amazing team they were really pushing at the forefront of in Australia NGV also does a lot of fashion but I think uh, and, and Museum of Brisbane yeah, there's institutions focusing on that but I think especially for Sydney um, because our art galleries aren't embracing interdisciplinary mm. you know the art gallery of New will only ever show works on paper, painting, and sculpture. Yes. And that's yeah. a really strong policy. So mm. we, this was really our only institution that could help us access that part of our cultural history, uh, whether it be international or Australian, equally right. important. Um, yeah, so we'll see. It's, it's such sad. a shame. But you're doing your part, I think, with, um, you have, as you mentioned before, your own label with mm -hmm. your partner, Katie. Mm -hmm. uh, do you want to kind of, What's the inspiration behind it and how did that start? Well, so when we met, um, I had actually read Katie's blog for a little while. Um, when we met, we were both dating other people. 
and then we both had like really horrendous breakups mm-hmm. where we both got royally dumped <laughs> and then we hung out as like sad friends for a while and ended up falling for each other which is a nice story Lovely. and then um, when we started dating I kind of said but you've got this amazing skill and talent and you have an enormous heavy industrial sewing machine under your bed like why aren't you doing anything with that and what do you want to do and that was a really hard question for her and it took months of coaxing and trying to kind of push and encourage softly push yeah. <laughs> um, and and I just said well you should just be making what you want to wear like it's just and that's always been the founding principle like we've never we've never made commercially viable clothing to Mm. say um we have no interest in upscaling and becoming a big mega brand and i think that's refreshing here where people kind of have that especially the younger generation kind of you know build 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 and make something big but then why not have something that's sustainable and kind of i think it's so interesting that the word entrepreneur is always associated with money Mm. and it is by nature I totally get that like that's the definition if you open the dictionary but I kind of view it as like why can't you be a cultural entrepreneur or a social entrepreneur or somebody who's going to push develop and evolve a concept from like a seed you know seed funding like a seed concept Mm -hmm. why does it always have to be monetary gain thank you for saying that because it's like it's something that I kind of question myself it's like I see kind of other blogs or kind of other magazines that have Mm. kind of grown into these bigger things that are kind of surpassing from a financial point of view what I'm doing Mm. and it's like I question my like am am I doing enough am I working hard enough am I pushing it enough and I have to kind of step back sometimes saying well it's a different thing what I'm trying to do I'm not doing it just for the money I'm doing it to kind of put a new face of Mm -hmm. what masculinity is what men's style is what kind of yeah and it's just that's my goal, and it's I can't confuse it with the. Uh, am I making enough money out of with it or the not? The commercial you know? venture. Yeah, absolutely. So how do you guys kind of deal with that? Well, I suppose like part of how I justify it quite easily to myself is that we've heard time and time again of, especially Australian, but really anywhere internationally, designers um, doing that, growing their business and mm. scaling up and taking on more staff, and then they have investors and then people buy yeah, in. Yeah, they just yeah. lose complete control oh my God, of what yeah. they're doing. And it would be the same for many of these publications. All of a sudden, they're under an umbrella and there's somebody else's vision and somebody else's direction. And that would be the ultimate betrayal of why we started. Mm -hmm. Because it's it's like the most selfish project in the world. It's literally Katie and I, you know, we put all of our disposable income into it. And uh, we do, we have built up, very fortunately, we've built up a really loyal customer base. Mm -hmm. We're really lucky. We've had um, our last collection, we literally had this, one woman in London buy every piece from the collection. No way. Yeah, yeah right. That's and um, so she has the, the whole collection. And this is uh, more women's wear? Do you do men's wear as well? So we do men's and women's yeah. wear, but the only men's wear we've ever sold has been to women who are interested yeah, yeah, in masculine okay. styles. Because no it's, it's, it's a very particular type of men's wear. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's my type of men's wear. Well, there you go, exactly. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's found an international following. Is so there I would involved? I would say that like eighty percent of our stuff goes offshore. Really, and it sounds like I'm right. gloating, but really it's all Paris, London, and New York, which yeah, we feel yeah. really excited about. But they're Absolutely. the cities in which people can wear slightly more pushy clothing, and I think individuality is celebrated a little bit more in social yeah. spaces. Yeah. Do you feel good about kind of then being in Sydney, where it's not necessarily going off? But I feel fortunate that we have the internet. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's why. Yeah. Um, but you know, of course, I mean, we would love to have a more 
concentrated local following um, just so that we felt like we were kind of accessing the community and I certainly think the last collection we had has been a bit of a change for that what was it like um, what was the last collection like well it was like a we have really like bizarre and intense concepts for all of our collections. Mm-hmm. So we've kind of started this project with the company where each collection, I suppose for myself personally, I use clothing and Katie, we both dress to tell a narrative. So for me, it's not like this is my style. It's like today my style is referencing this and this and that. And I'm placing this with that yeah, often okay. from two very, like Katie often does like if Marie Antoinette lived in the thirties and was a lesbian, yeah. like, I love that. Which is great. <laughs> yeah. um, and it just, it means that you're not just, you know, recreating one person in one time and place. It's kind of hybridizing things that influence you. It's right. like, okay. it's like your visual world is Pinterest. Yeah. It's like, what board are you going to today? Love Pinterest. Always plugging Pinterest. People don't use it enough. <laughs> they don't. And it is very, I mean, I kind of have an account, but I don't log on enough. But when I do, I always get like just lost in it. I just still find it weird when people talk about having physical mood boards and then you kind of have this mental image of them with the yoohoo stick like pasting (laughs) things on a big piece of cardboard. I tried to have one in here but it just didn't work at all. Yeah, it's it's a process. Some people like it. But um, yeah, so I suppose our, our main aim and goal within like the aesthetic direction, we try and use the company to tell narratives that we feel need to be brought back into like social conversation or Sydney conversation as well. So um, we've tried to focus on basically in our own way, um, providing a voice for kind of lesser known queer histories. Mm -hmm. Um, So the last collection was about, well, directly inspired by a film called Peach, a pink narcissus. So the collection was called Peach Narcissus. Um, And Pink Narcissus was made in the early seventies by a cinematographer called James Bidgood. Uh, and it's considered one of the first pieces of queer cinema yeah, in the right, world. Right, okay. And it's really beautiful. Um, it's really weird. Mm. He's, he was a strange, strange man. He was a professional window dresser by yeah, trade. Yeah, and he basically managed, he's still alive, he managed to convince um, like the big department stores that he was working for. He did all of the big store windows in New York. He managed to convince all of the department stores to do these really flamboyant windows. And then, of course, once he'd used their budget for the props, he'd take them home. And he <sighs> shot this yeah, ed- like right. full feature-length film in his own apartment. And the subject is his boyfriend. And a few wow. of his friends appear in it. And it's just basically like a love, like a love letter to his partner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it was banned. It was never released. They found the forgotten tapes. And it's just visually so beautiful. He had such a strong vision ah, for what he wanted to create. To see yeah. yeah. Um, so that was the inspiration yeah. of the collection. Yeah. So the inspiration in terms of like the palette, the way yeah. we shot it, the way we told the story, and um, in terms of like the communication to our audience and our customer, we tried to really use the clothing to tell the story that they potentially didn't know. Right. Yeah. And besides being online and trying to kind of show your pieces online, you guys do, you've recently moved into a house where it has like, what, a store in the bottom or a display window or? Yeah, something? so we've got, we're still trying to kind of set it all up basically, but we moved into. Um, it has a, a bathtub, which is great. <laughs> An amazing bathtub. We went to the house doing, and Katie and I used to live in, um, we had a really good rent deal um, and a, a good friend of ours kind of offered us a space above her shop in Newtown. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was potentially like the, 
the shittest. Like, every, it, nothing worked. Right. Like, there was no fire alarms. They had an electric <laughs> box that tripped all the time and we lost power. Katie works mm-hmm. from home full time. Like, it just didn't... It was like, cockroach infestations, Newtown's yeah, so yeah, gross. Yeah. Everything was like... And it just got to a point. We went to the viewing for this new house. And we needed more space, really. Yeah. Um, but we went to the viewing for this new house. And um, Katie said, like, I would happily put, like an extra hundred bucks a week just for that bathtub. Like I'm ready for that bathtub. We do actually use it all the time. So it's good. Um, but yeah, so it's basically like an old corner store, um, in a Vic, like a Victor- early Victorian terrace that's been chopped and changed and converted. So it has a showroom at the front and then we have our making studio behind and then we live in the back. So we're still setting that up, but we're hoping to use that showroom to launch our collection in, um, three weeks. Three weeks. weeks. Three, oh, four wow. weeks. Coming up then. Very close. <laughs> Actually, there's a Friday come out when it comes up then. Good timing. Oh, cool. <laughs> Amazing. So how do you actually then balance this? Because you also have a full-time job yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, How do you I balance it all? I work at 9 to 5, which is more of like a 9 to 8. Right. Um, but I love my day job. So I just, I have an overactive mind. I get very bored. If I go on holidays, I go insane. Yeah, right. Um, I, I hear you. <laughs> and I, I hope that will mellow as I get older because it's really tiring. But I'm just really bad at switching off. I never can. I ride a motorbike and I find it really useful. Do you? Yeah. What kind of motorbike? It's a Royal Enfield. It's like an old British Indian naked frame. It looks like it's from the 30s. Every ounce of you then is kind of has your touch to it, doesn't it? That's amazing. That's yeah, I, we bought a car at the end of last year. What kind of phone do you have? I have an iPhone 6S Plus, the big one that looks like you're holding a computer to your face. Yes, yes. Um, that's the one thing I'm like, I must have. <laughs> I do live on my phone. Um, but yeah, even buying a car last year, my parents like, you need to be really practical. I was like, practicality is never my focus. <laughs> I should be. <laughs> no, so we bought like this beautiful like early 90s Saab convertible that looks like it's like all boxy and space age and it's so beautiful. Oh, yeah, it. it's my baby. <laughs> yeah. So what do you do then on your kind of those spare moments that you have that's just for yourself? Or is it kind of all wrapped up in work and collections? And- I just enjoy working on our business so much yeah. that because I have a day job, then when I work on the business, it's my downtime. Mm. But also like Katie and I really love... Like we picked up Stav the other day and just like drove across the Harbour Bridge with the roof off the car and went and had a glass of champagne in Kirribilli. Like, you know, we live in the most beautiful city. Oh, absolutely. It's really expensive, but it's really damn beautiful. <laughs> like, it's worthwhile. People yeah. whinge about Sydney, but it's an amazing place. Is that something that kind of makes you happy? Is that those little moments like that? Is of that where you find your happiness from? I find my happiness... I'm really, like, a very happy person. Yeah. That's, well, that's a disgusting yeah, thing yeah. to hear. No, I remember please. when I had my heart broken out of a relationship, and, and, like, I've only really been really dumped once, and it's... I think it's a good learning curve for anyone, to be mm. honest. You learn a lot about yourself. I actually... I genuinely reached a point, like, three or four days in, oh, maybe a week in, where I just woke up one morning and was like, God, I hate being sad. This is boring. <laughs> like moping is really annoying Absolutely. to everybody else, but also to me. And yeah. I just think my brain doesn't work that way. I'm very bad at sulking and mulling. Yeah, yeah. It just doesn't work. I like doing things yeah. and getting shit done. <laughs> Have you ever gotten a piece of advice from someone that kind of has stuck with you and kind of helped in that? Or kind of even oh, from all the time. Yeah. yeah, I've been very lucky that I've always worked with people um, who are... I've worked in some really great workplaces and I've often worked with people who are 
if not older, more mature than me. And I think he learned so much in those incidental moments. Mm. He used to work with this wonderful woman, Jane, when I worked at the Art Gallery of New South Wales. And when I went through that breakup, she literally sat me down. She was like, I know this really hurts. You're going to face so much harder things in your life. And if you can deal with this, then you're better prepared for the others. Yeah. And I was just like, wow, she's so right. She was like, I've had two divorces. I've got three kids. Life's hard get used to it you're still here and you've got a lot <laughs> it's really valuable advice I think you need to kind of just kind of be able to step away from uh-huh. those feelings that go on in your head and mm-hmm. know that they're not necessarily real and That's that it. it's just this whole thing of life is a crazy kind of and we have such limited control so yeah, just enjoy it go with the flow of things and mm. you know hard times are meant to be there and just roll with it and yep. then you'll get over it and it's um, I think ultimately we are positive happy people yeah i mean i'm a white male in a heteronormative relationship i've got life pretty easy yeah right (laughs) like i'm really happy to say that like and you know i've got a great job i've got a supportive family and network Mm. and i can't whinge about stuff yeah right well my my last question you kind of answered but what does it feel like to be you right now where's your headspace at tired but excited yeah yeah i mean where we um so my, my day job, which I didn't really go into because I'm really bad at yeah, tangents, yeah. <laughs> but um, I work for like a not-for-profit cultural institution that does programming around fashion and architecture. So I kind of manage with the director um, the fashion program, which is such a great experience because mm. um, it means that I get to research, which is what I love. It means that I get to connect and network with people that I would otherwise never get to meet. And um, that also is just a really nice kind of synergy with our business as well, because then I meet people, they ask what I do, and I'm able to introduce them to something which is pretty off the radar in Australia. So I'd say, yeah, a lot of that has kind of transformed in the last year since I've been in this role and being able to, because I represent my own clothing, I always wear our pieces. So, Mm. you know, people ask and then you can say, you know, I designed it and made it, which is a pretty special thing. Um, But yeah, I mean, that... um, the whole point of that whole institution is to be able to make the fashion conversation. It's exactly what this podcast is about, you know, making that fashion conversation more about broader culture and the way it intersects with identity, social politics, culture influence, culture looking forward, culture looking back. Um, I think that's the thing. It's, you know, fashion as just is the, the tip of the iceberg and everything it. else kind of. And that's why I want to, what I kind of do with the blog and stuff is that, see these guys with amazing styles out mm. in the streets, but then who the hell are they? You know, what's yeah, the absolutely. deeper kind of part about yeah. them and how do they live their lives? And, mm. just and so why do they to choose it. to put it on the outside? Because yeah, I remember right. somebody, like, I was having this conversation with someone at a party. I didn't really know them. And they kind of, you know, I'd said exactly what we've just said. Like, you know, there's lots of interesting men and they choose to show it in their dress. And he kind of said, well, what you think if people dress normally, they're not interesting. Mm. And there's always that danger of people flipping it back around. And it's like, no. But I'm also aware that as somebody who wears quite unusual clothing um, and is quite distinctive, like when people come up and want to talk to you about it, you can't expect people to not want to do that. I know mm. people who wear different clothing. They're like, oh, why can't people just leave me alone? <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, yes, sure. But it's, it's not the culture we live in. And we yeah. all know that, right? And sure, there are days when you're tired or have a rancid hangover and you're like, don't, don't talk to me. <laughs> I really don't want to talk about this. Um, But I think when you're 
engaging in visual culture, it's a different form of conversation. Right. And so you need to be willing to have that conversation. And often it will have a really positive outcome. People are so. only asking because they're interested. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. It's We have to kind of communicate yeah. these thoughts and ideas because that's how the, the word gets spread. Mm-hmm. And um, it changes people's ways of thinking for the better or worse. You know? And I it's, think in terms of people wearing like a really distinctive style, whether it be really on-trend or really off-trend, we live in such a visual culture now. Like we spoke about Instagram earlier, but like everything is imagery. We all live such busy lives that very few people have time to sit down, open a print magazine, mm. and read an article. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that, you know, there's a sad tinge to that. But also, you know, if visual communication is the form that our culture is focusing most on, what are you saying with through your visual communication? Mm-hmm. How are you contributing to that conversation? And in a way that we use visual culture so strongly from the past, this is Katie and myself, but also everyone. Like we all, you know, you think of Hollywood and you think of 30 starlet portraits. You Mm. think of, um, but also you think of social things. Like you think of social revolution in France in the 60s and you think of the beatniks in the street riots and you think of, it's all visual culture and you associate an image with something. And I always wonder what our imprint is going to be for this time. I was just going to ask you that. Like what do you think... I mean, we kind of, we live through the times, you know, from like the 90s even, or the 2000s, you didn't think anything was actually happening. Mm-hmm. But then you look back at it now, it's like, oh my God. So much. Like that is so distinctive and so crazy. Just as distinctive as what the 70s were like, you mm-hmm. know? And right now I'm feeling like it's, okay, it's a little bit nothing. Mm-hmm. But then we're going to look back in 10 years even and be like, wow, like that was It's hard to choice. see it when you're so <laughs> deep in it, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. But um, I also try and kind of, as we were saying before, like step back out of it. And, you know, you can really, if you if your mind is open to it, you can be a really active participant in it. Mm. Like Katie and I would like to see change in Australia, not necessarily for p- the way people dress, like that's their personal choice, but in the way that people embrace Australian design mm. and an Australian identity and aesthetic. Um, and the way that not only the community supports it, the government supports it, mm-hmm. the institutions support it, um, and, you know, we start seeing that happening now. I think the last 10 years, I mean, in the time that Luke and Anna from Romance is Born have been designing, right. the way that Australia understands and champions them has changed completely. Right. Absolutely. Right. Which is a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. And we're very lucky to now be hopefully kind of hopping on that wave in a very different way. Um, but, you know, like there's so many creative, talented people here in Australia, in Sydney, but in Australia broadly. Um, and there's just not always a lot of platforms it's no, just right. such an American centric world I know people in London who bitch about this and London's like you know we look at London as like a huge platform right but they itself. just go New York New York New York it's all about New York and that, and that, I mean I love New York don't get me wrong but it's it is that thing that it's it's story of the New York story has been told thousands and thousands and thousands of times <laughs> yeah and that's what everyone can relate to where mm. all these other cities or countries haven't had their, their moment to shine yeah. And there's just as much, as much amazing things happening, especially Absolutely. in Sydney. And it's like, I mean, there's you're just a little kind of touch of it of what's the amazingness of happening in Sydney. Oh, I'm nothing. Uh, I know please, so many more interesting people than me. But even the group that you kind of that you're surrounded with is such an amazing kind of group of people that yeah. I think need to be shown. And it's truthfully, it's the first time I'm kind of seeing it in the really? 10, 10, 11 years I've been wow. here. Something but, I mean, I, I feel the same about you. And once again, it's maybe in or outside of the moment. But mm-hmm. like, you know, I met Ali through you, and I think he's yes. an extraordinary person. <laughs> um, 
I'd never forget having to pick my jaw off the floor when he said he worked in finance. Like, <laughs> Fuck you, God. Well, the, imagine the minds that are out there that are not necessarily working in these That's industries. That's it. Yeah. It's just that there's so much amazingness out there mm. that um, they just need those outlets to kind of... And know. I think what's so nice, like you, you touched on it in such a complimentary way, but like the, the social group and the creative group that we've been able to find in Sydney is like our most valuable asset. Mm-hmm. And actually the shoot that we're doing for our next collection in a fortnight... We've asked our creative community, like, we never use models. Mm. In my opinion, models look like cardboard. Yeah, right. Um, that's just me. And it's be, I think it's once again because, you know, we're not designing commercial high fashion to go up onto Farfetch on a stick. No. Right? That's just, it's just not what we do. <laughs> no, right. And um, so for us, we always ask our friends to model. We're lucky we have some pretty attractive friends, to be honest. <laughs> it's like every every collection, I'm like, Stavrola, how'd you come? <laughs> um, she's very beautiful. But, um, she is. She's just another story there that's just yeah. incredible. She is. <laughs> just what she's kind of taken um, and kind of made of herself and kind of just... It's extraordinary. So it, great. It's such a distinctive voice. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is one of the things people struggle hardest for. It comes so naturally to yeah. her. She really knows who she is and what she wants to put into the world. It's quite quite an amazing gift. But um, yeah, so our, our shoot we're doing in a few weeks where um, we're inviting our creative family and then other people or collaborators that we know, we're in asking them to bring their creative family and it's that concept of family. Mm-hmm. You know, not necessarily yeah. biological, but your creative family or your social family, the people who support you. There's so many of them in Sydney. Yeah, it's an exciting time to Indeed. be here. I think. And yeah, it's, I, it's great to kind of be able to kind of define what Sydney is mm-hmm. with kind of everything that we're doing. I think and well, it's a really dark way to look at it, but it is. I do try and keep it in mind. It sounds a bit rude, actually, but like the nightlife scene in Sydney has suffered. Yeah. Live music has suffered. Mm-hmm. Creative industries aren't particularly well supported in Sydney, and a lot of people have moved to Melbourne, um, in Victoria, for people who are listening maybe overseas. Um, it's like the comp- the competing city that everyone mm. champions as like much more sustainable for creatives and a lot more nurturing. But I mean, the reality is with a lot of people leaving, there's a lot more opportunity here now. Yes, I've always looked at it that way, and a people lot more are kind thirsty of thirsty for creative. Yes, and it's it's happening almost in the underground, and mm. just kind of starting to come out because there weren't opportunities. It's almost just like back in the day where it was you know you didn't have those opportunities where you weren't allowed to drink. You know, which is the case right now yeah. after 1 p.m. or 1 a.m. And it's like... 1 p.m. No. 1 p.m. no. Please don't. No. 1 a.m. Um, it's... There's room there for... As negative as that is, mm. there's still room for negativity and growth yeah. to come out of that, I think. Oh, absolutely. You know? and I mean, we have friends who are um, like really damn polished drag queens at the age of like mm. 21, 22. They've really come up through this like drag race generation and been really kind of formed by that... Um, understanding and kind of cultural story which is great um and like they're getting booked all around sydney at the age of like 21 22 to become like representatives of an entire community yeah it's such a special thing absolutely and like young musicians are getting gigs because there are you know there are all these venues that are trying to get people in the door so they can sell as many drinks before 1 a.m so the gigs are all starting earlier but at least there are opportunities there for people like it's you know i think it's an exciting time we know so many people between 25 and 35 who have just left yeah right so many people katie's older brother is 32 turning 33 and I would say like 85% of his friend, friend circle and he was, he's a musician and he was part of like a really big cultural group in Sydney, 
they literally all moved to Melbourne. Really? Yeah. And so that whole scene has shifted. Like, it's just, it's those people aren't here. See, I, I but somebody quite... else can step into that spot. Well, exactly. It's and it's, I, I question that sometimes because it's like, I feel like the people that do move away, and it's definitely not for everyone, mm. but they go to the location where they think they could do it because mm. they just want to be surrounded by others that are doing it themselves mm. and don't actually do it. Mm. It's almost like just being surrounded by creatives makes you a creative where you're not actually, why can you make it work here? Because you're not doing it. And you know, it's like... I, I will not name names, but we had, I should be so careful about this. We had an experience where we were kind of, um, through a friend and it was it all had all the right intentions but we were asked to kind of get involved in promoting uh, like a venue in Sydney that yeah. wanted to build themselves as this new creative hub where all the weirdos could come and hang out and it was like the people who owned and ran it didn't have an idea for themselves they yeah, just right. wanted to leech the culture of other people out of them mm. capitalize it for their own gain mm-hmm. and feel cool yeah and yeah. we actually kind of thought you know, it's still a great opportunity to be able to create our own space and mm-hmm. we saw it in the most positive light as possible but of course it fizzled out because there is the actual no passion and that no have... drive behind it it's... and it's not genuine no and what's so no. hard is I think that maybe a challenge I think for more marginalised or creative communities or just smaller communities in Sydney once upon a time before there were conglomerates of bars and drinking venues mm. like now you've got one you know, a pair of investors who own 10 bars and they're all the same yeah, yeah, and all yeah. the same people go to mm-hmm. all the same venues. You know, once upon a time, like the Hollywood Hotel in Surrey Hills is still one of my favorites because it's right. owned by that. Do you know about that story? A little bit. The woman who owns it is in her early 90s and she, it's called Hollywood Hotel because she was a Hollywood starlet in the 30s. She went to LA. I'm kidding. Yeah, and yeah, if you yeah, walk right, in yeah. there, she still sits at the bar until 7 p.m. Yeah. Um, and has like a little glass of sparkling and she still owns it and the people who work there have the utmost respect for her and if you look up on the left hand wall there's all these portraits of her from from the kind of I think she was there in the late 40s yeah oh my goodness and she's still there she's still there she's very elderly now but like that is such an amazing example of it has her identity stamp on it and it has this genuine... It's not made to feel that way. It exactly. just is that way. Because <laughs> I think like, the, the ultimate commodity in our culture now is when things are genuine. Right. Because it's so easy to construct. Like you can go to a prop warehouse or a this or a that and you can put brass pipes in everything and big beer barrel. Like you can... I think there's been such a push for the small bar that now everything's a small bar. Mm. And so now, you know, what are we looking for? We're looking for the story and the narrative and the person behind it. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's really hard for, in a hypothetical, if you and I wanted to open a bar together that was for creatives in Sydney, like, you know, we, that budget and that vision mm. and being able to turn it into a sustainable business isn't necessarily available to the creative community. And I think no. that's a bit of a shame. But things will change they always do <laughs> hopefully that's the in the way of the oh, future nothing <laughs> ever stays the same yeah no and that's the thing i think it's everything has its kind of ebbs and flows and it's you yeah. need to go through it like anything it's just it will change it's definitely mm. better than that absolutely all right and thank you so much pleasure thank you for inviting me forever and ever yeah sorry this could be like a six hour it's podcast it's the longest one i'm sure <laughs> it's coming Thanks for listening, guys. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Portrait Session. 
Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you did enjoy it, which will help other people discover the show. Have a great day and thanks again for your support.